Um, wow, I really, I really want you to engage today with what we're looking at. We are uh, in the book of Galatians, and I want to talk about cultivating the fruit of the Spirit. Cultivating the fruit of the Spirit. Now, for those of you that maybe you're listening to this, not even a Christian, thinking, I knew these Christians were a little fruity. I just knew it. Um, or maybe you've been a Christian for a little short time and you began to see something in Scripture called the fruit of the Spirit. And there's the clue for which book of the Bible we're in today. We're in a series called Journey Through Scripture. and We're taking one book of the Bible per week. And today we're in the book of Galatians. That's that book of the Bible that the fruit of the Spirit. By the way, grammarians go bananas whenever they hear and read this in Scripture. Why does it say the fruits of the Spirit? Because it says love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But one of the things the writer is trying to do is to help us understand there is a singularity to that fruit. Well, as we get started in this, I'm basically trying to ask a question. How is it that we cultivate this fruit? And if you are um, familiar with the Genevan philosopher Rousseau, you would, you would know that he wrote that humans are corrupted basically because of a social construct outside of ourselves. It's, it's basically society is where evil comes from. And um, yet Augustine was right in saying that while the human person is good, our problems are actually much deeper than society, or even those that we hang out with. Our problems at root are with the human heart. Uh, or as John Calvin says, the human heart is like an idol factory. Dare we say the cross of Christ shows us something that's not so flattering about ourselves. We need life change. And for that to be sustainable, for true life change to happen for you and for me and for whomever you're noticing that needs life change, because somebody else is thinking that about you, by the way, uh, for that to take place, we need someone living inside of us to bring that about. Sounds a little weird, right? But that's what our, our writer Paul is attempting to do here as he writes this letter to a group of house churches in an area of present-day Turkey called Galatia. That was the area that he's writing to. And in first century, the idea of God living inside of you would have been ridiculous. It would have been mind-blowing. And dare we say in San Francisco, for us to say that God is living inside of you? <laughs> Seriously. Uh, this is what Paul is attempting to do. Uh, let me give a, a quick chapter breakdown. There are only six chapters. Uh, the reading is maybe uh, 18-minute read. I highly recommend you read the book of Galatians. And as you do, you'll notice this chapter breakdown because Paul, as he's writing, he notices that there are uh, Jewish followers of Christ in this area of Galatia that he's writing to, but there's also non-Jewish followers of Christ. And that's what was happening with this movement called Christianity as it was beginning to spread beyond Jerusalem. And it was beginning to include all ethnicities. This was getting people's attention. What's going on here? Well, Paul began to notice that within that church there was uh, a debate going on. It was a debate because some Jewish followers of Christ 
were demanding and saying that non-Jewish followers needed to follow the laws of the Torah. And male non-Jewish followers of Christ also needed to be circumcised if they really wanted to become part of the family of God. And so Paul gets upset. (laughs) He gets upset about that because he's trying to get them and us reminded that it's not your ethnicity, it's not your gender, it's none of those things, it's the gospel. It's the gospel that makes you right with, with God. Uh, so chapters 1 and 2, he, he's giving them a summary of the gospel message. He wants to remind them of the gospel message. I love chapter 2, verse 16, where he says, A person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So if you're taking notes or if you've been reading through the Old Testament, you know this word justified is a huge, huge Old Testament word, meaning being made right with God. We can't make ourselves right with God through all of our morality or attempts or pledges to do good, but it is an act of God's sheer grace and mercy whereby one Christ lives a life for us dies a death for us, and that righteousness of Christ is then transferred to us. That's beautiful. That's the gospel message. So in chapter 2, verse 20, Paul is reminding them, whatever is true of Christ is now true of you. If you're a Christian, and by the way, we don't see that word in the Bible. We see in Christ. If someone is in Christ, What that means is whatever is true of Christ is now true of you. Feel it or not. Uh, Verse 20 there, chapter 2. Maybe you've memorized this. And if you haven't, I I recommend this verse to you. It's a wonderful verse to memorize. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what's the only way that someone can say that they're a Christian? You might be asking. Some of those original readers may have been asking. What is the only way someone can become a Christian? Answer, not through your obedience. Not through your desire to obey. The only way we can become a Christian and remain a Christian is because of what Christ has already done on the cross for us. It's, uh, it's good news. It's not go do, but it's good news. Chapters 3 and 4, uh, the gospel creates a new multi-ethnic family. I feel like I'm trying to speak louder to, uh, to compete. Um, chapters 3 and 4, Paul is wanting them to know that, hey, that's not just good news, like just put it on the shelf and uh, think about it whenever you want to. But he says, no, no, it affects who's included in the family of God. This is huge. Because they're asking, you you might even be asking, who can be in this family of God? And how to live as a member of this family. So Paul in chapter 3 and 4, he takes them all the way back to Abraham, our lineage, our faith lineage, showing them that Abraham was justified by faith. He's justified by faith. He believed God, that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. And God credited it to him as righteousness. And then that family begins to include a multi-ethnic family. That's what was on God's heart from the very beginning. 
wasn't just the Jewish people, but it was to include other nations. Chapter uh, 5 and 6, this gospel of good news begins to transform you. If you are in Christ, don't look now, but Christ is living inside of you. That's what I just said. That's what the Bible says. If you are in Christ, Christ is in you, you're a follower of Jesus, whether you're uh, two seconds into that following ship and discipleship relationship, or decades in, you are going to be transformed by, not willpower, but by the presence and the power of Christ living inside of you. Therefore, Christ's spirit living inside of you produces, we're finally getting there, the fruit of the spirit. That's the metaphor that he uses here in chapter 5, and that's what we're going to focus on in our sample passage. It's printed there for us, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. And by the way, read this after this, these moments. Read this later today, again. Read it tonight. Read it again tomorrow. Read it slowly. And ask God to grow this fruit inside of you. All right, let's read the passage. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you, that is, you who are in Christ, is to keep you from doing the things that you, like the real you, want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And then he uses this phrase. And things like these. (laughs) If, If he hadn't said enough, he's just saying, trust me, this list goes on. Repeat, repeat. And things like these. And things like these. Um, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, and it here does not mean a one-off doing them, it means a perpetual lifestyle, even a willful choosing it. Hard-headed, I'm going to keep doing the same thing. I refuse to repent. It's not a one-off on any of these, by the way. Please hear that. I warn you as I warned you before, those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. How is fruit of the Spirit cultivated? That was our first question when we got started. Quick answer, there's no life hack to this one. You you can't duct tape or Velcro some fruit of the Spirit in your life or on your life. It it doesn't work that way. This is a botanical, this 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 is an organic metaphor that he's using. Therefore, there's got to be some root system. 
tapped into life. Let me lay out three ways I'm just recommending from the text here today about how to cultivate this fruit of the Spirit, how how to do that. First one is, remember the life of God's Spirit lives inside of you. Remember that. The second way is to be mindful of our opposition. And the third way is turn to Christ. Turn to the Christ who dwells within you. Very first one here, remember the life of God's Spirit that lives in you. Not everyone. God's Spirit is not living inside of everyone. Everyone's created in the image of God with gifts, abilities, talents, even weaknesses. We call that common grace, right? A person who's gifted in any numerous ways. God's, God's gifted that person. But God's Spirit, he's saying, dwells in those who are in Christ. That's what the scriptures are teaching us. And I hope you never get over that. I hope literally right now this isn't boring you. That the Holy Spirit, like let's talk right now. God's very spirit, God's very self is inside of you. I want you to get that. I want to get that to a deeper level. I don't ever want to forget that. I don't ever want that to not wow me in you. Verse 24. Verse 24 of our passage we just read. He says, for those of you who belong to Christ... We belong. We belong. Christ is in you. You are in Christ. There is this union that cannot be upgraded, downgraded. In the ancient world, again, we, we mentioned this a few weeks ago, but in the ancient Roman world, temples were everywhere in the Greco Roman world. That's where you went to pay homage to the gods. So what was ridiculous in first century thinking is that God's very temple would live inside of you. What? That's what first century audience were arguing with Paul about and these first century Christians about. Are you kidding? God lives inside of you? How do I get that? Sinclair Ferguson, quote, he says, to have the Holy Spirit means to have the incarnate, obedient, compassionate, crucified, resurrected, ascended Lord within you wherever you go and whatever you're facing. You probably have something that feels quite daunting coming up this week. You might have a to-do list if you're like me and you love to-do lists and you're strategizing like mad to get it all done and somehow that even seems fun to you. The Holy Spirit God's very presence is inside of you, walking with you into that. You'll never be lonely again. Our epidemic of loneliness, boy, aren't we just lonely? Epidemic of loneliness here, you'll never, ever be lonely again. The friend, honestly, that you've always wanted, who hurts when you hurt, and who gets you, who really understands you, your quirkiness, your creativity, everything about you. God is that close inside of you as a friend. Not theoretically, what would Jesus do? You know, the WWJD. 
Not behaviorally, hey, just be like Jesus, but rather experientially. Jesus as Pilate inside of me, guiding me in ways that I can't guide myself. I'm, I'm prone for me and it not to go in those directions. Is that who you see in the mirror? Is that who you see? So what is the fruit of the Spirit? By the way, it's not virtues. Be kind. Be joyful. Be patient. Go get it done. It's not a to-do list. The fruit of the Spirit is not a to-do list. It's the life of God's Spirit and character coming to fruition in your life to bring about Christ-likeness inside of you. It's inevitable, by the way. It's inevitable. It happens over time, by the way. Ap- apples don't grow um, overnight. They don't. None of these fruits do. It takes time. Yet it is inevitable. It is inevitable. And I was imagining the genius of Mozart. Let's just say the genius of Mozart. Coming to live inside of you. Just, just imagine that with me for just a moment. Do you know how discouraging it would be for any of us to look at the other one and say, just, just get up here and play like Mozart. Just, just try harder. Just train more. You, you can do it. I mean, that sounds somewhat maybe like a coach we grew up with, but it becomes possible if Mozart is living inside of you in some mystical, almost hard to understand kind of way. It's inevitable. The Spirit of Jesus does come to live inside of you and has already taken up residency inside of you if you're in Christ. That's the good news. That's what you can celebrate today. So that you can live a life similar to Jesus. Okay, all this is point number one. Yet there's opposition. We just got into point number two. There's opposition. All that sounds really great, and it is true. But there's opposition. I want you to, number two here, be mindful of our opposition. If you want to cultivate through the Spirit, you need to be mindful. Look in verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. They keep you from doing the things you want to do. Like the real you. The real you who's in Christ, who wants to bear this fruit. Yet there's opposition going on inside of you. The Apostle Paul is educating us on this in a previous letter of his to the Romans, chapter 7, where he says, I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Oh, what a sinner I am. And if you're in Christ right now, you know about this opposition that I'm talking about. If you have no clue what I'm talking about, you should question if you're in Christ. To be in Christ means there is opposition going on inside of you. J.C. Ryle, an English Anglican bishop writing in the 1800s, says a true Christian is known not only for their inner peace, but for their inner warfare. Let's quote Peter in the New Testament. 
Peter in the New Testament. He knew failure. He knew success. He wrote, Beloved, you are a people for God's own possession. You have received God's mercy. Therefore, abstain from sinful desires or passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. Peter was familiar with the opposition. If we get honest with ourselves, there's an opposition going on in there. This word desires here, you may go back and do a word study on this one. And if you do, you'll, you'll learn that this Greek word, uh, the main problem with our desires, is not that we're desiring bad things per se, but it's that we desire or we over desire good things. The Greek for this is epithumia, which means it's an over desire for things, good things. And that means that we ask our career to do something that our career could never do for us. We ask it to give us stability. We ask our beauty to give us importance. We ask our popularity and our reputation to give me a sense of, I'm okay in this world. We take a natural desire, good things, and we elevate them. And also biblically, that's usually where the word idolatry comes from is we take a good thing and we sort of elevate it to where it becomes something ultimate that we feel like we have to have. Well, two different root systems here. As your roots grow deeper and deeper into living autonomously from God, imagine that, seasons where you've been in, I'll raise my hand, where you've crafted and built a life of living more and more autonomous from God. That, that life will be marked by more and more uh, of this desires of the flesh that we just read from the list here. And a different type root system is where your, your roots grow deeper and deeper into union with Christ. Your roots grow deeper into that. And that life will be marked more and more over time with several setbacks and failures but that life will be marked with an ever-growing presence of fruit of the Spirit. As some uh, people come to me and say, uh, you know, as a pastor, some folks will approach me and say, Troy, you, 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 I don't know if you understand, but there, there are just these competing desires I have within me. Like, like on the one hand, I, I want to do these things and, you know, what's wrong with me? And I'll say uh, something like, you're normal. You're normal. That's why you are feeling this opposition. Thank you, Brian, for taking care of that for us. I say, you're alive. If you're experiencing this opposition, you're alive. So anybody here feel like a failure at times and living a life as a Christian? You don't have to raise your hand, but if you do, I think we all are. I think we all are. You ever feel like a failure as a Christian? Oh, I'm not a good Christian. I've even been on a plane before or at a coffee shop and just get, somehow get into a conversation with someone and the, the, the idea of being a Christian comes up and they say, well, I'm not a good one. <laughs> what does that even mean? None of us are good enough. <laughs> See, this is good news. Let this encourage you if you feel like a failure as a Christian. If the opposition isn't there, maybe the Holy Spirit's not there. 
I don't know. I think it's time to turn to a couple of great theologians from a movie called Ratatouille. <laughs> Ratatouille. If you have not seen this movie, I'm sorry for the spoiler alert, but uh, it's old and it's a good one. Main character, um, Remy, is a gifted rat and he's developed a great sense of smell and has a very gifted sense of palate. And he's trying to convince all the other rats that they're wasting their time consuming garbage. <laughs> it's a great movie. And it is um, Remy's brother, Emile, who's quite opposed to this idea of not eating junk anymore. And Emile says this in the movie, eating garbage isn't so bad. Once you move past the gag reflex, all sorts of possibilities open up. <laughs> Let me turn that on us just a little bit. What about us? What about us? What about possible things in my life or in your life that we've muscled past the gag reflex? We've just muscled past it. There's no resistance to sexual temptation in your life. There's maybe no resistance to sins of our tongue and the way that we say things to others. There's no resistance to the sin of excess or drunkenness. And for some of us listening to this, it's tearing you up. It's tearing you up, and that's because it's dehumanizing. You and I were not made for those works of the flesh. And maybe for some of us listening to this, this these works of the flesh, um, some, somewhere there in that category, have, have perhaps even become an addiction. And I say in all humility, tell someone, trust in someone and get help. Oh, you may be to a point where you're listening to this and saying, well, producing this fruit of the Spirit, man, this sounds tough. I can't do this. And I'll say, Good, you're on the right track. You're beginning to understand it. Let's repeat that. This sounds impossible. Right. It is impossible for you and for me. You and I, we can't do it. Turn to Christ. That's our third point here in cultivating fruit of the Spirit. Turn to the Christ who lives inside of you to produce it. Verse 16, verse 18, verse 25, look at it with me. It says things like, walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, not run in the Spirit, <laughs> cruise in the Spirit, or if things get really hard for you, you might want to rely on the Spirit. No. A lifestyle, daily, moment by moment, dependence on this Christ who lives within us. Let's test drive this, shall we? Let's test drive this. Test drive this. Here's, here's what to do anytime the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit appears in your life. Here's what to do. And by the way, I think that'll be often. Not because I'm saying you're just that kind of way. I'm just saying we have opposition within us. But any time you notice anything opposite than the fruit of the Spirit coming to fruition, 
in your life, turn to Christ in prayer. Sounds, sounds so easy and simple, but usually we don't do it. Usually we feel guilty or we try to work harder or we just try to go get busy and comfort ourselves or anesthetize ourselves with something else, but rather turn to Christ in that very moment and say something like, I lack peace right now. I lack peace, Christ. I'm acknowledging to you I lack peace. And Lord, that's not from you. Because in verse 17 here, uh, it says that, you know, it, that those, op- the opposition is keeping you from doing what you want to do. So Christ, this is not from you. This is not how we want to roll, is it, Christ? I'm not feeling peace right now. And then I would suggest asking Christ, why? Why? Always ask the why question. Boy, that just take, takes you so deep. Once we get into that why. Why am I not filled with the fruit of peace right now? Why is it? And as there's some reflection that happens in that prayerful space with the Lord, some things that I begin to realize is, why do you keep comparing your life to others and not feeling good about your own? <laughs> you can ask even more why questions. Because you're not grateful for the life that you've been giving. Well, why? Because you're defining yourself by comparing yourself. Christ, I don't have peace. Fruit of the Spirit is is not virtues. Again, it's not be joyful. Try hard and just be kind. (laughs) Rather, in this prayer here, you would say something like, why am I being unkind right now? I'm noticing it. I'm being short with this person. I'm not being gentle with this person. Lord, that's not who you are to me. You are so gentle to me. You are so kind to me. Help me give my time and attention to this person right now with your kindness and with your gentleness and patience. And that's because these habits of the heart These habits of the heart that need to be cultivated over time by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Or how about this one, when trying to grow in (laughs) self-control. Ever tried that one? Growing in self-control. Not, I need to control this. Interesting that Aristotle uses the same word as Paul uses for self-control, but Aristotle and Paul mean two totally different things. Aristotle, quoting him, he says, I count him braver who overcomes his desire than him who who conquers his enemies, for the hardest victory is over self. Sounds good. Sounds good. But we can't control ourselves. That's the whole point of the gospel. And if you're receiving the gospel, it is good news to you that, no, you can't control yourselves. We need God's empowering presence inside of us to control us. So that life of continually surrendering your life to the Lordship of Christ. And the irony is that things begin to get under control when you give up control. 
Have you experienced that yet? Are you experiencing that? Have you forgot what that experience is like? Give up control unto Christ so that your life can get in control by someone who's trustworthy. And in conclusion, it doesn't matter how dysfunctional I feel or you feel on the inside. It doesn't matter how dysfunctional or how literally wacky, crazy things and raging things may be regarding these two opposing desires. What matters is the power of God living inside of you to bring about change. That's what we want to pray for right now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we turn to you now. We turn to you, the one who lives within us. Grow and cultivate this fruit of your spirit. Save us the time and heartache from self-reliance and trying to grow this fruit ourselves and change us by your indwelling power and presence. And we pray all this in your name, Christ. Amen.